Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 171. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing original series, third season episodes, and the children shall lead, Is There in Truth No Beauty, and Spectre of the Gun. Here we go. And the Children Shall Lead, Season 3, Episode 4, Production Code 060, Original Air Date, October 11th, 1968, Directed by Marvin Chomsky, Written by Edward J. Lasko, Music Composed by George Dunning, Guest Cast Include Melvin Belly as Gorgon, Caesar Belly as Steve, Craig Hundley as Tommy Starnes, Pamela Ferdin as Mary, Mark Robert Brown as Don, Brian Tochi as Ray, Lou, Lou Elias as First Technician, J.D. Jones as Second Technician, Paul Baxley as Security Guard, Dick Dial as Security Guard, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, Frank Da Vinci as Transporter Operator, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, and Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley. Intercepting a distress call, the USS Enterprise arrives at the planet Tarkas. Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, and First Officer Spock beam down to investigate just in time to witness the death of Professor Starnes, the leader of the scientific ex- expedition. The other members of the expedition, apart from their five seemingly unconcerned children, seem to have died at their own hands. Who has summoned me? I did, Gorgon. My beast is gone. It lost its power in the light of reality. I command again. And I ordered you here. No, Captain. I command here. My followers are strong and faithful and obedient. That's why we take what is ours wherever we go. And the children shall lead. You know your episode is problematic when your lead, Kirk, proposes killing a bunch of kids, and your response is, yes, please. <laughs> Boy, this episode's got problems. Um, Adam, would you like to list some? <laughs> oh, it's really long and drawn out. That's one of the problems I had. I kind of got, I kind of got, I actually got bored in the second half. Um, I forgot, you know, there's a tendency in some Star Trek episodes, and I think, you know, we run into it, um, you know, several times already in the first two um, first two seasons. You occasionally get this really long and drawn-out, boring episode. Um, um, and even though I liked um, There is Truth and No Beauty, I kind of felt like all three of these episodes were really long and kind of just too long or just, just, I don't know, just, I don't know. This one, this one's especially the second half. I'm just like, eh, I'm like looking at my watch. Like, when's it going to be over? Checking my, <laughs> checking my email because I'm like, I was, wasn't interested. I'm just like, it's, it's like a it's, bad it's, date. Yeah. It's like, these, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, it starts off kind of interesting. All these, you know, dead scientists and their kids are still alive and they don't yeah, seem to really care. It's incredibly dark. This episode, you yeah. know, mm. this concept that these kids, I don't know if they actually killed, them exactly, but it's more like they well, I guess they sort of did, or at least let them die and don't care. I mean, that is dark. That is a dark dark story. But, but it pretty much just goes straight down a cliff once the, um, I don't know, I'm just going to call him Santa Claus. Or yeah, shows the up. green Santa Claus. The green, green Santa Claus. Once he shows up, it pretty much just kind of I mean, you know who it made, you know who that made me think of? Rod L. Hubbard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking that was wrong. Just because, you know, it's like a cult and follow me. So, um, yeah. 
Well, um, that that person, I'm sure you guys know, but I mean, famously, he was not an actor. Uh, he was a lawyer. Somebody's dad. He was. It was stunt casting because he was a famous lawyer. They thought they'd get ratings out of it, uh, and he was god awful. You know, it, it does make you realize too. If you're going to give a non-actor a part, maybe don't give him so many lines to suck at. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he'd had like a word, maybe. Well, on top of that, it wasn't written very well. Not to, not to. I think that some. Of the, I think those lines would have been fine. His lines, anyway, would have been fine. They wouldn't have sounded like it was like they were bad writing if it was an actual actor maybe, reading. Yeah. I don't. Maybe by that point, I. You know, maybe by his second appearance, I just didn't. I really didn't care all that much. Well, actually, I want to talk about him for a second. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and we haven't even gotten into all the other problems with this episode, but since we're talking about him, do you think this episode would have been better overall if that had been a real actor? Would, would that have, I don't know, necessarily saved the episode, but it would, have, would it have transformed it into just, you know, a mediocre episode? I don't know. I, don't, I tend to think not because, I mean, he's only, what, is he in three scenes? I don't. I don't think you could make it worse, but I mean, yeah. you know, if you, I mean, it could a little better, maybe. I don't know that it would even bring it up to mediocre. You know, it's one of those that it's one of those that if you had like a really great actor doing that stuff, we might be able to say, oh, this is kind of worth watching because of the work of so and so. You know, but mm-hmm. that's probably as far as it would go. I tell you, I respect Shatner <laughs> acting with that guy because. Everybody knew it was stunt casting, and I'm sure he must was he just awful, 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 on set and stuff or whatever. But I feel like Shatner's really selling it the best he can. You know, like they gave him mm-hmm. a, a poop sandwich, and he's just like, "I'm eating it. <laughs> let's, let's do it. I'm, I'm getting paid. Let's do it." <laughs> yeah, Steve, some of your thoughts here on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's not good, and uh, it is dark, uh, and I'm not sure. What's redeeming about it? It's awkward. It's like they're silly. It's silly and awkward and dark. We it's kind of unusual in that Spock actually was affected by the whatever was going on. Almost always Spock is not affected by what's going on. You know, like if everyone's getting this time, Kirk somehow magically is not. I mean, just that brief time. You know. Oh, and then oh yeah, there's the. Um, it's I don't know what what to call it, but it's odd at the least, uh, where Sulu's afraid of swords in space, and uh, Uhura is afraid of, I think it's, uh, I thought it was a cosmetic thing, like she's just vain, you know, like, oh, I'm afraid of looking ugly, and then apparently, it apparently it's death, death but like know. old age or something, yeah, you know. Okay. Of course, in reality, and however old she is now, she looks ten times, hundred times better than whatever she looked like in the mirror with that, but, um, yeah, and then the kids and the their crazy antics with making everyone do stuff and uh, you know i don't know it's just ugh. yeah they're they're doing their little fist thing mm, yeah like are well it's kind of stupid too like you're talking about okay spock is yeah spock is like we don't need to bother starfleet and sue's got his swords who has got her her death thing <laughs> uh and kirk but the kids are there like why don't they do this fist thing on kirk i don't like mm-hmm. that isn't i don't understand that <laughs> yeah but, gosh. Kind of makes you want to punch a kid, though, right? This whole episode? Yeah, like I said, <laughs> Kirk says to, I think it's to say, he says to Spock, we might have to kill them or something like that. And I'm like, great, do it, done. Yeah, but by the time it gets there, yeah, you want it over. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there you go. That's what you do. Good idea. Good plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I liked, I'm trying here. One thing, I, I like the idea that, uh, 
although although it shows a massive vast um, incompetence and uh, lacking what should be obvious technical safeguards. It is a cool idea that uh, we just beam this security team to nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, I know about that. Yeah. So aside from all those obvious things, you should be like, well, that how can that ever happen? But it is a cool story bit. Like, where did they go? Oh my god. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That might be the only thing I kind of enjoy. I don't know. We've seen everything else done, like the the video diary logs kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. telling the story of what happened. We've seen that before. Better. Mm-hmm. Some of the new effects were cool. Some of the new Enterprise shots. You know. Yeah. Yeah, they're really trying to get different angles, which is Ooh. something the original series never really was able to do. Uh, but boy, yeah, this this episode, I, I don't feel like hate toward it. It's just, it's just crappy. It's yeah. just not an episode I'd want to watch, you know? Yeah, I just kind of, I found it boring. I don't think that about the other two today. You know, I don't think that. I mean, as far as I don't, I don't think the other two are crappy. No. No. But this one is, um, yeah, pretty crappy. Is this episode about anything? I don't know. Growing up, dealing with um, grief and. Yeah, you know, I think they there's a couple things they could have they could have uh, focused on that may have. Put it, you know, put it into that realm of actually being about something, but they just, it just was too much of a mess. I mean, there's the notion of having to grieve to get through something and having to face that, but um, you know, that's kind of touched, that's focused on early in the episode, and then just at the end, and then you have also the notion of uh, evil or wh- whatever you want to say, needing followers to do its bidding and that kind of thing. Which I mean, there's some, you know current event timeliness to that too but none of that stuff is is dealt with in a way that 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 makes the episode you know it's fleshed out to be that's the theme or something like that it's just too much you know mm-hmm. what was it next gen did an episode what was it that where the kid's parents died and he kind of latched on to data right right yeah that was kind of like i made that kind of made me think about when other other you know sometimes i think about when the same kind of similar storylines are done in other shows and that was a very good episode if i remember correctly and and um next gen you know kind of dealt more with grief and coming to terms with um kind of what's in front of you life and that kind of thing but yeah they Mm -hmm. they kind of tried to touch on this with mccoy but it just never went anywhere because of the bop bop and everybody forgot about it yeah this episode it's memorable for all the wrong reasons all right Let's do six degrees for and the children shall lead. Steve mm-hmm. Brian Tochi plays Ray Sing Tao, one of the children who had no issues with bumping off his parents. In Next Gen in the fourth season, he plays Ensign Peter Lin in the episode where everyone has terrible nights because they can't sleep. Name the episode. Hmm. Hmm. I think I I I know what you're talking about. Um. Hmm. Is it Night Terrors? You are correct. I try to help you out there with the terrible <laughs> oh, yeah, nights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See? yeah. I thought the computer was just glitching. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, Caesar. 
Melvin Belli plays Gorgon, the bad green dude. Melvin was actually a lawyer, not an actor. What a shock. What? Yeah. Uh, he was most famous for defending the man that shot Lee Harvey Oswald. Who was that? The man who shot Lee Harvey Oswald? Um, mm-hmm. oh. Not exactly a Star Trek question, but, you know. Um... Oswald. Oh, God, I can't remember his name. I should remember it, but I don't. Me? Yeah. Uh, uh, Is it Jack Ruby? Yep. Steve has two. Moving on. Is There in Truth No Beauty, Season 3, Episode 5, Production Code 062, Original Air Date, October 18, 1968, Directed by Ralph Saninsky, Written by Jean-Lisette Arovest, Music Composed by George Dunning, Guest Cast Include Diana Moldar as Dr. Miranda Jones, and David Frankham as Larry Marvick. The Starship Enterprise is assigned to escort a Medusan ambassador named Kolos to the Federation to engage in trade route discussions. Medusians are energy-based creatures that are emotionally beautiful inside, but whose outward appearance causes humanoids to go insane. For the transit, Kolos offers to stay in a special vessel to protect the crew of the ship. First Officer Spock has offered to assist as necessary using a special design visor which allows his Vulcan physiology to withstand Kolos's appearance. Kolos is accompanied by Lawrence Maverick, one of the designers of the Enterprise, and Dr. Medrian Jones, Kolos's beautiful assistant, who is also a telepath. His mind has gone down almost too far even for me to reach. If you don't reach him soon, he'll die. But that's what you want, isn't it? That's a lie! Oh, yes, it is. You want him to die. What did you do to him on the bridge? Did you make him forget to put the visor over his eyes? You're insane! Yes, you know your rival, don't you? You couldn't keep him from making a mind link with Collis, something that you couldn't do yourself. Is there in truth no beauty? You know, it's funny, I never thought of this episode as sexist. I really didn't, and maybe you guys don't think it is. But just in taking my notes and looking back over my notes, like, whoa, I made a lot of jokes about sexist things here. I would, I, would, I would say the dinner, I would agree with you when they all were... Oh, that, sec- that dinner was crazy sexist. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I would definitely agree with you there. Um, yeah, it was like, I, I don't know, I just like, oh, it's time for the sexist dinner, or maybe they invited her. <laughs> we're having a sexist dinner tonight, it, it would be nice to have a woman there if you could big, make it. Big banner hanging across them. <laughs> I don't know, there were just so many things like... Um, and I got and I and I kind of like this episode, folks. I kind of I like it. Um, I I don't think I'm not trying to just disparage it. Uh, you know, this is one of those things where at the time it it didn't come off that way. I don't think, and I don't even remember thinking this when I watched it as a kid. But watching it now, I think this. Yeah. Yeah. The um the scene where Kirk's trying to seduce her is kind of uncomfortable. It's just like not. Well, that whole scene it starts off like, okay, we need to distract her. Uh, it's hilarious. Well, oh, this thing. How can we possibly distract a woman? I've got it. Flowers. Sexes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's and it's and it's all and all Kirk too. It's like it's it's the it's the most blatant kind of version of this in the series, really, where he's just kind of like, uh, that's that's my that's yeah, my I'll take job, care of, of course. Yeah. yeah. I like that it doesn't work though. All right. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. But even then, like. I think it's right after that scene. Um, now, 
I know the reason they're saying she can't be the pilot is because she is blind. Yeah. But you don't really know that yet, or she, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, she can't be the pilot. It feels like she can't be the pilot because she's a woman. <laughs> right. Um, but, okay, so we got the sexist crap out of the way. I kind of like this episode, though. You know, obviously we all love seeing Diana Moldar. There's a reason they use her so many times. She's very good. Uh, even though, like, we, you know, I remember talking about her next gen. I thought she was good, even she was good at playing somebody that you didn't like. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I, I made notes about here, I've, I don't think I've ever written this note before. For a guy named Larry, he sure has a lot to do in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, like, every time they say his name, there's something I wonder in the 60s, was that fine? But now it just seems like Larry. It's like, you know, it's like... Um, I don't know. It's just funny every time they every time somebody says his name, it's a little fun. I'm not hey, I'm not making fun of somebody named Larry. <laughs> Here come the emails no. from all the Larrys. Yeah, you, usually, you know, it's not usually the they got the the guest star guy. Oh, it's Larry. You know, it's like uh, just name all the alien names you can think of, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And then at the end, say Larry's name, right? <laughs> I wish I wish when they did the intercom thing about the murder thing, the murderer is Larry. They should have just kept him like one name. <laughs> Larry's the murderer. Oh, Larry. And Scotty, of course, in a, in a hurry gets intense. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah, check out my engines, whatever else. And then it's like the murderer is Larry. And then he's just like, I'm going to rip this guy. You know, I mean, it's just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just like thinking like Spock, Worf. Odo, <laughs> Larry, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> well, anyway, I like this episode. I always remember, I always remember this, this cool idea of um, the ambassador that is not a normal being like we're used to seeing, and he has to be in this box, and if you see him, you go, you go crazy. I think that they even give you a a tiny bit of an actual plausible way it could be so. It almost seems like lights and stuff. You know, you would think like triggering something in, in the human brain just from the flashes. You could see that, right? Mm-hmm. It's always a great mystery bit. I mean, I've obviously seen this enough time that I that I remember that she's blind, but it is a great mystery bit when in the beginning she takes off her glasses. I think there's a while when you can almost think, oh, she must be totally crazy, and then she's like hiding it, and she's, well, she's mm-hmm. even crazier, you know? Um, so there is kind of a figure out what's going on. I'm not sure how well the idea of, of a human with telepathy fits into Star Trek canon. Because mm. they do say she's human, right? Well, you know, if you think back to the where no man has gone before, they touch on that subject a lot. Um, oh, right. They talk about ESP studies or something. Yeah, yeah. So at least in the original series, that kind of thing is hinted at time to time. Do you, um, you guys uh, you guys like this episode? Do you, uh, you know. I liked it. Yeah, yeah, I, it's it's memorable and overall, I I think it's I think it's pretty good and it's interesting. You know, it's it's kind of, it's an interesting theme. And they also make some interesting choices. You know, you've got like early on, she transports aboard, and you see it from Spock's point of view with the red tint. You know, that's just kind of an odd choice, but it's fun. And also the whole um, fisheye lens point of view thing that turns it every time we turn into crazy mode. That's yeah. we could do that. You don't see much of that in the original series either. I wonder so. how new fisheye lens, how how new those lenses were then. Maybe right, not, right. 
Yeah, I like the the fight scenes were all kind of like point of view. It was kind of different. To, um, mm -hmm. I couldn't recall seeing mm -hmm. that. You know, the fish out. My favorite was like when Spock grabbed Kirk's hands after he went crazy. And yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked that this episode sort of doesn't have a villain. I mean, maybe Larry a little bit, but not really. <laughs> Larry! Even in the ambassador, you know, he he doesn't go, I like this Spock buddy. I'm going to stay. I want to keep it. You know, there's nothing like that. We get the hint that Maybe Miranda used her uh, telepathic powers to help Sp Spock kind of forget to p put the visor back on, which, you know, maybe is is a tiny bit, you know, I mean, that's how, she's not a villain, though. It's just a little thing. And then, of course, she helps save him. So I, I kind of like that it doesn't have green Santa Claus lawyer br beaming onto the bridge or mm -hmm. anything like that. So it makes it feel, it makes it feel unique mm -hmm. not really having a... Um, a heavy. Yeah. Adam, is this, I mean, you like this episode? You said you do? Yeah, I do. I I like this one out of, out of the three that we saw today. It was definitely the... You said you thought everything we want today has uh, pacing issues. Do you, you do think that? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. This is, I kind of, I felt like, the, you know, I'm, I like this episode. I wouldn't call it like, you know, anywhere near my favorite. I would say it's average above average. I mean, it's an episode I would watch again for, for several reasons, but, um, I, it, it feels like a melodrama. It's like a Star Trek melodrama. I just kind of, I kind of felt it just kind of drug a little bit. You know, maybe the pacing. And it might have just because I watched um, um, the episode before and this one back to back, and so maybe I was just kind of like tired anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 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 worn out from the first episode, so I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I, yeah, I just kind of felt like it, the pacing kind of drug a little bit at times. I I think Spock looks really cool with that visor. Yes. Yeah. Looks like a, I don't know, Daft Punk or something. Uh huh. The one thing I noticed though, so at the end, Spock puts the visor on, Kirk doesn't. So why didn't Kirk go crazy? You know, when they beamed the um, Kolos away. Yeah, I didn't really understand that. If if I mean having it on when he beams in at the beginning made sense because maybe you don't know that he's going to be in a box. I don't know. But leaving, it was a little weird. I don't know. Right. I mean, what are they saying that like the transporter thing is like the box may be going before the thing inside yeah. the box goes, and yeah, you might get a glimpse. The case, then why wouldn't why wouldn't Kirk leave? Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's a little thing. Now this is the only episode that touches on the whole Idic thing, which has become a a big thing, right? The only original series episode that does it. And uh, you know they sell this stuff, jewelry, and it's kind of a theme in Trek, and a lot of people are aware of it. But it's really the only episode that touches on that, right? Well, I think originally the script had much, like the dinner scene, made a lot more of the Idic and the actual necklace or whatever, and really featured it mm -hmm. uh, because Eugene Roddenberry wanted to sell them. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, and then the actors were pissed off and complained and. I think they rewrote it and, and you know tamed it down a lot, but it's I mean it is still there. Um, yeah, it's funny. Do they even? I certainly don't remember seeing the symbol before. Had we? I don't think so. No, we all know remember what the symbol looks like. Is it just it, this one little episode without you know featuring it? Surely that's not enough to make us all remember it so well. Well, you know, I don't even remember. Does it appear in other Trek episodes of any sort? I mean, do we see? I don't... Probably. Um, I just don't recall. I don't think it's in the original series otherwise, though. I may be mistaken. My son uh, 
watched some of this one with me, and I didn't think he was following it all that well. And then when Kirk comes in into the sick bay, and Miranda looks up and she's like, "Who's there?" And my son immediately says, "He's five, folks." He says, "Oh yeah, she took off her her um, clothes that let her." sense where everybody is yeah yeah <laughs> i was like dude i didn't even and then i you know i look double you know closer i'm like oh yeah the dress is over on the side of the, on the other side of the screen <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah and you know and of course you mentioned how good she is anyway and uh that she does i mean there's some skill there you know because the whole episode she kind of there's something there right she's not she doesn't play blind but she plays like she's not quite seeing everything like we do visually with our eyes and and then she plays that one way and then of course without the sensor web thing another way and you know it's it's yeah convincing it's a nice little story bit that uh mccoy was aware earlier but chose thought of that as almost like personal information and you know if yeah he didn't well, need to share it right? well he decided he was really sexist at the dinner so he shouldn't be mean and go blind. <laughs> well it's not his fault it was uh, billed as a sexist dinner <laughs> <laughs> when in rome folks what is this episode about it's a little bit in the title, you know, there's what is, uh, what is ugly, what is beautiful, you know, kind of like, um, it's kind of, there's kind of this theme of I, you know, the eye of the beholder, you know, it's like w- what you see is what you think is beauty and what you think is kind of ugly. Um, they kind of, you know, we were just talking about her being blind. It was interesting, you know, they, they brought that up in the second half of the, the episode or the last third of the episode. And it's kind of like, you know, she can't see beauty or ugliness and, um, so I, I saw a lot of that in this episode that they were they were trying to do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There's um, and also you know adding the whole idic thing to it. It kind of it's another layer of you know put together uh, people and things and unexpected combinations, and you shouldn't just make assumptions about who should go together. You know, there's all that sexist talk about oh, a beautiful woman, you'll find a guy and that's that's what that's what life is about or whatever why are you with the ugly creature you know all this crap and uh you know it it kind of reinforces the notion of you know you you shouldn't make assumptions about what should go together there's many interesting combinations in all these different ways in life you know so you know and they kind of i mean it's kind of interesting in the you know the opening um tease you know they you know they have her taking off her her glasses and then she's looking at um Kolos. it kind of makes you think that she might be crazy they kind of give you that hint that maybe she's crazy so it's also you know it's never don't judge a book by its cover type thing is right yeah. i'm disappointed that for neither of you guys did your themes touch on larry <laughs> not you one of you said his name not once in there well, it sounds like T-shirts, you know, like the ones that they put, you know, you can get for your name or whatever, you know, they sell in those little magazines, things like, well, look, look out for Larry, or... Is there insurance no Larry? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> and then Larry shall leave. <laughs> Specter of Larry. <laughs> Everyone named Larry is will stop listening to our podcast. On the contrary... <laughs> recruit some people we're bringing Larry back 
That's what we're doing. Just Larry Companion here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do six degrees for Is There in Truth No Beauty? Steve has two. Steve. Yep. Diana Moldar plays Miranda Jones, the blind woman that probably could pilot a starship if she wanted. We last saw her in the original series' second season in the episode Return to Tomorrow, where she played an astrobiologist named Anne Blank. Here's a tough one. Oh, jeez. What was her character's name? And is there in truth no beauty? Dr. Miranda Jones. You're saying Truth No Beauty was Miranda Jones, but you're asking for the name. No, no. Return to Tomorrow. Right, right. Sorry. Right. Her character's yeah. name. Uh, was it Rand? Nope. No? Okay. Adam? Um. I'll give you one hint. It's not that far from her last name. Diana Muldar's last name. Anna Muldar? Or Mulhar? Is that what it is? No. Mulhall. Mulhall, okay. Dr. Mulhall. Uh, Adam, this is you're one of... Give me, you're not going to give me that? I, I protest. Close. <laughs> <laughs> I got the first name. I said the first name already. I said <laughs> Anne. Uh, uh, why did you say that? That was I in my question. I knew, the, I knew the first name. Oh. Um, all right. Fine. You can have it. This is one of three episodes of the original series that ends with a question mark. Name one of the other two. Um, I have no idea. Okay, Steve. Okay. Um. Gosh. Shoot. I mean, I know it's going to be obvious when I hear one of these, but yes, it will. Not, yeah, it's just not hitting me. Who mourns for Adonai? Yeah. And what are little girls made of? Sure. All right. Uh, two to one, Steve. Moving on. Spectre of the Guns, Season 3, Episode 6, Production Code 056, Original Air Date, October 25th, 1968, Directed by Vincent McAviti, Written by Lee Cronin, Music Composed by Jerry Fiedling. Guest cast include Ron Sobel as Wyatt Earp, Bonnie Beecher as Sylvia, Charles Maxwell as Virgil Earp, Rex Holman as Morgan Earp, Sam Gilman as Doc Holliday, Charles Seal as Ed, Bill Zuckert as Johnny Baron, uh, Abraham Sofair as Malkotian Boyce, and Ed McCready as Barber. The Enterprise has been directed to make peaceful contact with the Melkontians on the planet Theta-2. As they near the planet, they encounter a buoy sending a warning signal to stay away. But Captain Kirk orders the ship to remain on course. In orbit, Kirk joins Spock, Scotty, McCoy, and Chekhov as they transport to the surface. The Melkotians, angered by their willful, willful failure to heed the warnings, instead place the landing party in a illusion pulled from Kirk's memories. The landing party find themselves in an abstract landscape that appears as the wild west town of Tombstone, Arizona. Who do you think I am? Ike Clinton? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Well, I know this is hard to understand, but I'm Captain James T. Kirk of the Spaceship Enterprise. These men are part of my crew. We're not really here, we're from the future. <laughs> we haven't been born yet. Spectre of the Gun. I have a soft uh, spot in my heart for this one. I always have. 
Steve, how, how about you kick us off on Spectre of the Gun? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of like this. Um, I mean, I, there are there are kind of like some silly things going on with it sometimes, and things that make it like not paced particularly well in certain sections. But in my opinion, but um, overall, I kind of like it because it's such a surreal, trippy thing in a way. You know, I mean, there's you know, there's it's kind of a once you get past the whole like just accept that they're down they're there and they've got to get through this strange little puzzle and whatnot and move on then it's kind of interesting how they do it you know obviously you have these fronts you know are done for budgetary reasons but it makes it you know interesting um the the visuals and yeah, so stylized. on yeah yeah and then they um just the way it's it's put together and cut especially toward the end with the uh the uh you know the erp and crew marching toward them and then cut between the mind meld scenes and all that that's interesting and then the um the climax where you know they're not hit by affected by the bullets and so on and uh i don't know i mean it's it's yeah the the, the style and the look of it is so interesting i think it kind of makes up for the pacing early on and the kind of the the odd setup or whatever the whole thing but um yeah i, I kind of dig it i think it's interesting it's kind of unique in a way amongst trek episodes one thing that's kind of funny about it is i've got since since this episode was produced there's been so much content um well the, the movie tombstone comes to mind but there were there was a couple there were a couple of other 90s things and another piece in the 2000s and stuff mm-hmm. and it's all set up in my brain that the Earps were the good guys <laughs> the Clintons were the bad guys right I mean you know the reality is is you know both were probably you know problematic or whatever I don't know but this episode sure makes it feel like the Earps are the a-holes and mm-hmm. you know and the Clintons even even with admitting that they you know steal horses or something I don't know um, even with that uh, that they're the good guys and the oppressed ones and the and the herbs are the bad ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Adam, some of your first thoughts here on Spectre of the Gun? Spectre of the Gun, I probably don't have a the soft spot that you two have for it. Um, I didn't hate it, but I, you know, it's not, it's not one I look forward to or would probably watch if it was on TV. I don't know. I, I, for me, I just couldn't get past the silliness of it. Sometimes it happens. I mean, it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange the things that you can suspend your disbelief on and the things that you can't. And um, on this one, I just I remember not liking it that much when I was younger, and I don't really feel all that differently about it today. Um, I mean, yeah, it is kind of an interesting puzzle, but um, not really because every time they try to do something, they're stopped. And then it just kind of comes down to, oh, if we believe the bullets won't kill us, then they won't. So it's, I'm not saying it's a bad episode. I just, I, there's, it, I just couldn't get past the goofiness of it and um, um, really what the point of it was. So I'm not all that fond of this episode. I like all the stylized stuff a lot, actually. I always think of, I brought up the empath several times, but it's, this one as well. So this one and the empath are the ones that I remember original series episodes uh, that are super stylized. And even if it was done for budgetary reasons, even just now seeing it like in, you know, really high quality HD and you've got, you've got the stylized, you know, fronts in the buildings with nothing else. And that super bright red 
background, sky, what everything else, and then our our heroes, you know, primary color uniforms standing out against all that. I think the stylization, uh, the visuals are very interesting and um, a lot more interesting than it would have been had they just filmed it in, you know, the usual old West towns like most of the TV shows of the 60s and 50s were uh, shot in. I really like the scene. There's a couple of scenes I like. Uh, where the scene where Kirk... Oh, gosh, he he try he goes to the jail maybe, and he tries to reason with them, with the uh, the Clantons, um, and they're you know they're not having it. And I think they're lying something at, at 5:01. You got until five. At 5:01, we'll kill every one of you, whether you draw or not. And it's just it's just a cool scene. I like it. I like that that McCoy has that scene where he goes to the apothecary maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the dentist, or whatever. All the same thing back then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But it's, you know, it's 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 McCoy solo. It's like a McCoy mm-hmm, moment, mm-hmm. really, which is cool. Uh, and, and he doesn't even have a lot of lines, so he's mostly just playing, you know, looks and things. And, and he's great. These Kelly is always fantastic. Chekhov gets a lot of solo moments in here. I, I always, I remember him better than anybody from this episode. They're not my favorite moments in the episode, but it's cool. It's you know, it's fun to get to see you know people other than Kirk get a moment. I love the moment when Kirk goes to the sheriff near the end and he pleads with him. I can't just kill them. I totally see how somebody could think that scene is silly, or or some but or funny, whatever. But I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, I like <laughs> you know, I like Shatner. <laughs> I like I like it when he does those sorts of, of crazy things, but I like this moment for Kirk. You know, this this sense that Kirk is kind of fighting against I don't know, the like he's like he's he's fighting against the Malkosian's understanding of human instinct. Uh that's neat. What's interesting about that and you bring that up is you know, oftentimes we think of Kirk, you know, is comparative to other captains that we've seen in series and so on and how he's kind of the um the the hero and just you know takes care of business and you know all this kind of stuff but you know we see he's vulnerable in a lot of ways i mean how often do you see captains in the other trek series like flat out talk about man maybe i should have made a different choice you know to his mm-hmm. crew right in front of their crew you know it's like well, so so dies. yeah and, we, and this is not the first time we've seen this kind of thing either i mean maybe not often to anyone but you know, Spock or McCoy or whatever, but still, he's just, he has his doubts. He's not like some kind of, you know, two-dimensional, um, yeah. you know, just always doing the right thing and can beat up everybody and seduce everybody and all this kind of thing, you know. He's kind of, uh, he's, he's at his insecurities, you know. I think this is a really solid episode for Kirk as a character, more than anybody, more than anything. That's what I get out of this one. I think uh, Spock having to mind meld with everybody is a novel solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always remembered that. Uh, I think it hurts it a little bit that even after all of that, after surviving and not getting taking all the shots, Kirk still has to punch the guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> kind of like, wait, what? Um, but he does kill him. He does not kill him. 
Yeah, that part's a little bit of the cliche, right? Where he's like, yeah. I show mercy, and that makes the alien race say, oh, you're not so bad after all, and let's all be even friends. Though you, even you know. though you beat him up. Right, right, right. But that's one of those things I, I always feel like 60s network television mandate. Yeah. There has to be a... You have to have fisticuffs. <laughs> you know? Uh, it's a, it is really weird the way it just suddenly jumps back into the ship. You feel like there should have been a few more seconds of something else. I don't know. Having them wake up some of the way. I don't know. It's, it's weird. You feel like you missed something. Mm-hmm. The, way, the way it goes from that fight to we're on the bridge. Because they don't even look out of sorts. It's only Chekhov, right? Yeah. So you just feel like you missed something. I like this episode. I, I, I recognize that it has problems. But that's why I started off by saying, yeah, soft spot. I have a soft spot for it. it it's It's got all these other things that uh, make me okay with some of these issues. I I think, uh, yeah, that Is There Truth No Beauty is probably the best of the three today. But if I could only have one to watch over and over again, it would probably be Spectre of the Gun. That's just me. What's this episode about, gentlemen? Go ahead, Steve. I had a hard time coming up with something with this episode. Well, I mean, I think if anything, it's this notion of um, there's kind of a double-edged sword with mind over matter. You know, I mean, you you believe what you want to believe, and the result is, you know, the, but that's not necessarily always a positive thing, right? I mean, you know, it depends on. So, I mean, we saw the um, for for check for Chekhov, he's shot and apparently killed you know apparently but then not uh, but then the others they just believe it you know i don't know i think i think it's it's this kind of and in the in the grander scheme it's also the notion of how our thoughts and the, the things that run in our head so much identify um to identify our lives in a lot of ways it identifies at least the lens with which we see our lives you know this whole thing was set up just because Kirk's interested in this stuff or was thinking about it or whatever, you know? And so I think all that together is kind of just, um, relates mostly to the power of power of the mind. Could have been worse. They could have, they could have created the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I was just going to say that. It's, <laughs> good thing, it's a good thing Kirk wasn't thinking of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if those guys were inspired by this in any respect. Yeah. Somebody asks you if you're a God, you say yes. You say yes. Da, da, da. Um, you, you know, the whole episode is just kind of a test of their humanity too. you know, to see mm-hmm. what kind of beings humanities are, if they have compassion or, you know, depth or that kind of thing. So, I mean, you could kind of say that's kind of what the, um, the aliens were trying to figure out about them. Kirk and party. Good episode. An interesting episode. It definitely supports our hypothesis that if you're about something, the episode holds up, even if it has problems. Unlike, say, Big Green Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do six degrees for Spectre of the Gun. Adam has one. Steve has two. Uh, Adam, would you like the character name question or the episode title question? Um, I guess I'll do the character. Rex Holman plays Morgan Earp. In Star Trek V, he plays a character that is the first character we see in the movie. What character rides up to him on a horse? Um, 
Spock's brother, Vulcan. Well, what's his name? Is it, um, it's not, I want to say Sarek, but that's his father. Um, um, go ahead, Steve. Is it uh, Cybok? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, did you realize that the guy that played Morgan Earp here is the yeah, guy that's, that he's the, the, the bald guy at the beginning, oh. right? That wow. The, yeah. Yeah, freaky. Um, Steve, name the episode of Next Gen that visited the Old West holodeck. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Oh, um, okay, hold on. <laughs> the title was a reference to a Sergio Leone movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, I can't get this one. Um, Jeez Louise. Folks, you should know, Steve just got back from a week-long vacation. (laughs) Uh, He was at the beach. He was at my house. That's right. I live in the city people go to for vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Why? You know how sometimes the stupidness happens. You just blank out on stuff. I mean, you know, th- here's how close I am. I'm thinking like good and bad and ugly and Sergio Leone. I mean, that's how yep, I'm thinking. That's, and then I can't right. come up with this part. If you could come up with the, well, let's see. The okay, first of that, one. Of that, right. Yep. There were three movies. The third one was Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The second one was For a Few Dollars More. And the first one was... Oh, now I got it because you kind of gave it away to me. But anyway, it's Fistful of Datas. Fistful of Dollars. Fistful right. of data. Yeah. That's right. Very good. All right. It was okay. Is uh, yeah, very good. All right. Uh, yeah. So let's see. We're recording this one a week early because uh, Adam's going to be out of town. So if some big discovery news broke like a couple of days before you're listening to this, sorry, we didn't hear about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> But we are getting there. They did announce uh, the premiere date, mm-hmm. September twenty fourth, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Yeah. All right. So that's exciting. Um, they're going to break that first season up into two halves, uh, which is good. I'm pretty sure they don't um, make you sign a contract for CBS All Access. So it sounds like I'll be signing up for about six weeks and then canceling my account. Excellent. <laughs> for a couple of months and then starting it up again. Yeah, given that, I'm surprised they're not playing like one episode every three or four weeks. Or I know. I mean, you think they would do that. That's probably just too much of a yeah. <laughs> D-bag move. They don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, Steve, I'm glad you uh, made it back from your vacation. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You had a weeb out. A weeb out of what? Shore leave, Admiral O. Oh. <laughs> No. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek Two. Ah uh, yes. Kirk asks um, Scotty how he's doing, and he says, "Oh, I had a weeb out, sir." <laughs> yeah. But McCoy pulled me through. I think is the line. Yeah. Um, but it was nice seeing you. So I'm glad I got to see you. Yeah, you too. You too. All right. Uh, thank you, folks, for spending an hour with us. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter feed is at trekcompanion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. 
So thank you again, and until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.